We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And it was a busy day in Lakerland today with the biggest news being the Lakers fired Frank Vogel today. And I would like to talk about the story of Frank Vogel with the Lakers in part because I think that going slowly in retelling how we got to this point and the story of, of Frank's uh, journey with the Lakers and to here is going to inform us on where we are and also where we're going. D, I mentioned a couple pods back that when Vogel got hired, I was in the hospital. So the timeline of him getting hired and all of that is very fuzzy to me. Tell us the story of how Frank came to L.A. Mike, I'm going to want you to just jump in here and cut me off as much as you want. But the ongoing circus of that offseason was just the story of the day around the Lakers. Magic had resigned and there was just all of this drama, right? The Lakers missed the playoffs and it was sort of just like, well, what the hell is going on? Remember all of the AD trade rumors and the trade had not yet been executed and there was just so much. And when Frank got hired, the AD trade still had not happened. It's it's so the sequencing of events is important here because reports that were out there, the Lakers had met with several candidates, but their top two seemingly were Monty Williams, who ended up going to the Suns and Ty Lu. And Ty Lu looked like the guy. There was even pictures of him that were posted to the Internet of Ty Lu. In Las Vegas, celebrating his birthday with a Lakers-themed cake with sort of this congratulations, like, you're going to be the head coach of the Los Angeles Lakers. And then it all sort of fell through. And reporting at the time was sort of talking about the idea that there was going to be input on the coaching staff for Ty Lue's staff and that he was only going to be given a three-year contract, which was supposed to line up with LeBron's current contract or the contract that he was under with, with the team at that point. And that there were just things that were being held back within the context of a hire 
of a coach of loose stature who had already won a championship. And there were already sort of concerns, I think. And I don't know if these concerns were validated within the organization. And I don't expect you to speak to this point at all, Mike, but that Lou was LeBron's guy and empowering, like giving more power to a head coach and in an allyship with with LeBron and hiring one of his his guys was almost going to seem like they were forfeiting too much power. And so. It was with all of that as the backdrop that Frank Vogel then is now one of the names on the interview list for the next batch of, of interviews that that's going to happen. And Vogel had coached Indiana and had lots of epic battles between in with his Pacers against LeBron's heat. And, but his last stint was a pretty unsuccessful run with the magic where he had coached there, I think two and a half seasons and then was basically fired. And so Vogel, pretty nondescript guy, had some good coaching history, but okay, he's Frank Vogel. He's just a regular dude. And so Mike, jump in here, because this is the part where after he got hired, I instantly, within the context of his press conference, became a Frank Vogel fan. And so do you remember what happened the morning of Frank Vogel's initial press conference? There was some news. Yes. There was some news. Yes. I have no idea what you're talking about. Magic Johnson went on first take and he oh, was. Oh, this is when that happened. Yeah, that, was like, the mor- that was the morning like of his presser. Of the Vogel uh, press conference? Oh, my Eastern-ish. God. The morning? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, fucking yeah. Lakers, man. And oh. see, and, and I, I would, it was, sim- you know, it was somewhat similar to although more inflammatory even right than the more sure. the more recent one so it was it was a lot and so so magic's the, talking shit magic's talking shit on the morning shows you know and then, look, like magic, a couple magic, hours later share, magic sharing some thoughts okay yes Ma- Irv, Irv sure. likes to get some takes out sometimes <laughs> it's it's part of his charm yeah he does it's part of his charm and so this then, is all going on as the backdrop yeah this is going on before and then rob palinka walks out next to frank vogel you know, and take their seat on the dais. And of course, I don't know what percentage Darius of the questions were about were addressed to Frank, right? It was almost all <laughs> about, yeah. No, I, I asked Frank a couple basketball questions, first of no, all. No, you definitely did. No, and that's why, that's why I kicked it to you there. Because the feeling, the reason why Frank won me over in that moment is he showed the perfect balance of... I am self-assured. I am not overstepping. This this thing that happened today actually has zero to, that happened before my press conference actually has zero to do with me. And so Rob is going to answer and speak to those questions the best way that he can. I will pivot back to Rob if I have to, but I am now the head coach of the Los Angeles Lakers and I get to coach LeBron James and that and LeBron was there at his presser showing support from the side. We talk about winning the press conference. Frank Vogel won the press conference and in that moment I thought, "Huh." And this was coming off of like Luke Walton who was a little green 
when he got hired, he was obviously charming in in his own way. But for all the responsible adult lineup stuff that you've talked about, Pete, Frank Vogel was the responsible adult in the room Mm -hmm. after an offseason of total craziness around the organization. He calmed the waters. Yeah. Well, there's a and there's a reason for that. And so by the time that you're on your third job, there's a lot out there in terms of what a book is on somebody and whether this is a player on his third team, a coach in their third team. And I'm very friendly with the Orlando Magic sideline reporter. Um, his name is Dante Marcatelli. And I, I just called him right after the news. And he was and this is off record, right? This is not something. And he's like, he's amazing. You're going to love him. He's great. You know, here's why as a coach on the court, this is what happened in Orlando, but it wasn't his fault, you know, regime change, basically very little talent. You know, it was, it was, he's like trying not to judge that, but just, he's like, trust me. And and he's plugged in. Like he's somebody that watches Lee pass, you know? So I, I had this, I had a favorable thought about Frank before, but the way that you describe that first day, Darius, that, and this is why I bring up the kind of, you are who you are. That is what Frank is about. Frank is about basketball and people. He loves people. He's uh, yeah. he wants to treat people the right way. He wants to, he treats his kids and his wife and his friends and his players and his fellow coaches a certain way. That's just who he is. I've never seen him act out of that line of character in all of my observations following, you know, tra- traversing the country. And so that's one thing. And then he is about the craft. He is he is a head coach who does all of his own scouting reports for games. On top of what the assistant coaches do, because he just wants to see it himself. He wants to watch the film himself. He wants to create his own scouting report. And he, you know, look, he can be a little bit because he does that work. He has a, these mm-hmm. strong basketball beliefs, right, mm-hmm. that have especially after they won the title that first year have been crystallized to a certain degree. And we've talked about that a lot this year. But to, to kick it to you, Pete, now, I just that's the part I think that I want to get across about Frank is that he is what I was told he was. Before I met him, then when I talked to him and asked him questions, he was the same way um, up until the point of that last plane ride back from Denver, you know, and like that's that's what he he's he is. And I understand what Rob said about the the desire for a new voice in the room. That is something that we've seen in the history of coaching. And sometimes it's necessary. And and that's that's I'm not passing judgment on that part right now. I'm just saying that Frank has always been pretty consistent with what those values are. And he came at a really difficult time for the Lakers, as Terry has described on that first day, through China in the preseason, through Kobe's death, uh, through the bubble, the pandemic, through like all of that. And then what happened the next year was starting great in the injuries and then the roster turnover. Like It was a lot. It was a lot that happened to the Lakers these last couple of years. And Frank remained a pretty steady hand uh, throughout. Let's take a break. When we come back, I would like to discuss that first year with the team, that 1920 season. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. So we're coming off of this tumultuous uh, offseason, but the Lakers do make a trade for Anthony Davis. And over the course of that offseason, they make they take a swing at Kawhi Leonard too, try to get that real three superstars together and and chase that build and we all know how that doesn't work out but they end up executing a masterful plan b in which they sign defensive d and three type of guys with size and that's something that at the time i didn't uh i i that over the years of watching Frank Vogel, I have come to learn so much about the defensive end of the court, particularly how to employ size, not just on the interior, but also on the perimeter. So everybody they sign guys are big defenders. So, you know, Alex comes back and he's a big one. KCP is now playing the one spot essentially because, uh, and him and Avery Bradley, both big for that one position as, as well. You've got Danny Green is the biggest two in the league. We've talked so much this season about the size at various positions. And that year, I, I'll always remember one of Kobe, one of the only comments I remember hearing Kobe make about the championship year team. First thing he said when uh, asked about it, he was like, that's the biggest damn team I've seen in my life, you know? And this, and so this marriage, we talked so much this year about the dissonance between Frank Vogel's style and the personnel. You got big ass defenders with motor at every position and Darius, it's a match made in heaven. They hit the ground running. They do. You talked about the perimeter size, but the interior size is like just as important. And the embracing by LeBron of basically being the de facto point guard. LeBron made first team all NBA that season at guard. Because he played point guard, mm-hmm. basically the entire season. Him and Rondo split the point guard duties. And that idea of remember when, remember when. We were like, so who's going to start, right? So the Lakers basically have four starters, right? They or they so they had three starters for sure. They had LeBron, they had AD, and Danny Green. So Danny Green was going to be a for sure starter. Starter. All right. So they're going to start a big guy. That's Vogel style. Okay. So Javale, Javale's star starter number four. Now who's going to be the fifth starter? And I think we all had ideas about who that guy might be, right? Is it going to be Rondo? He's a holdover from last year's team. And he's a point guard. Is it going to be, okay, well, they signed Troy Daniels. You you have to use some, sh- you could use some shooting in that first group, right? Like, l- like, they can't play just LeBron and AD and JaVale McGee and then not have 
at least one other shooter besides Danny Green. Maybe it'll be KCP then. Or maybe, like, it's not going to be Quinn, well, Quinn Cook, but could it be Quinn Cook? But then here comes Avery Bradley. And and then we were, and remember all how coy Frank played, Mike, when it came to Avery and the idea is like, yeah, so we're just trying this out. This, this isn't necessarily set in stone, but here's Avery <laughs> starting every freaking preseason game, right? It's the then, start of a romance, Darius. <laughs> yes. And then opening night, there's Avery Bradley starting. But to speak to your point, Pete, that marriage of we are going to be aggressive defensively. We're going to blitz you at the point of attack with smash mouth basketball is what Frank Vogel came to terms with in terms of like, this is Lakers basketball. And those things were synonymous Mm -hmm. for him. Right. And they were that team wanted to kick your ass. Literally, they wanted to do it at the point of attack. They wanted to do it in the mid range. They wanted to do it in the restricted area. And the the getting folks to buy in, Mike, that we're going to be a defense first team. LeBron, you're going to basically play point guard. You're not going to have that secondary ball handler. When was the last time, Pete, LeBron had played without a real secondary shot creator ball handler guy? It had been a minute, right? Because of his, the guys he had in Cleveland and uh, and then in Miami before that. And then while doing that, I'm going to ask you to play defense. You're going to yes. need to play defense consistently for us to be to go where we want to want to go. And LeBron buys in is and is about it. And so and so that's part of the reason why that team starts so strong. And so, Mike, that perfect marriage of and look, I don't want to romanticize it too much. At the very beginning, Frank was playing Quinn Cook and Troy Daniels and Caruso wasn't playing very much. And Rondo was getting way more minutes than I think any of us really wanted him to get. And so while Frank had won the press conference, and I think he had instilled a certain amount of habits and culture within the group, there was always that underlied of like, okay, well, some of these lineups, though, are we sure? Are we sure about this stuff? But the thing I I came to love about Frank and really appreciate about him was his consistency was his sort of commitment to people and that idea of support and belief that he continuously tried to instill in in his players i think was a hallmark of that championship season for sure i mentioned that after frank had that press conference i had a i guess i didn't mention that in this time but i mentioned before so i sat down with frank for kind of an extended get to know you interview that i transcribed uh, for lakers.com back in the day and part of the questions were okay you played a certain way in indiana how did you see things change when you got to orlando and then how are things different now how the league has progressed some there's a lot more three-point shooting etc 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 and he said yeah that that's all true and and i've had to adjust my thinking about offense and three-point shooting but the thing that hasn't changed is the value that i put over rim protection on one end and you know, to a, to an extent, at least vertical spacing on the other. But really, he he has these kind of core beliefs about how you win basketball games in the NBA that I still believe are true, even after the three point revolution. And I've argued about this before with people, but the Lakers that won the title, this group we're talking about, the Bucks that won the title last year, well, they shot a lot of threes. They were a huge team also that protected the hell out of the rim and had one 
ultimate just monster um, like the Lakers did with LeBron and AD, but in Giannis, who could get, who could, it didn't matter what your defense was. You know, your defense in that. So the offensive, the system offenses, other than Golden State, which is, again, sort of an exception because they have two of the greatest shooting backcourt of all time. And, uh, but they also had a bunch of huge wings um, and could go small with Draymond Green. So to, sh- to save you from the, sh- the spiel on all this, like I just, the way that Frank talks about the basics of basketball success in the NBA, which I still believe are there, to me, we're right on with a team that had LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And absolutely, there are certain rotation spots that seemed like blind spots. And my initial one before that season started was Caruso should be playing more than Rondo, right? That was the thing that we talked. I wasn't on your guys' pod, but I was uh, – shout out to Aaron Larsoul, whether it was that podcast or just in general. I talk radio at the time uh, with Michael Thompson like that. A lot of things pointed that way, and, and but Frank – like I just always thought that those little those things were more minor, and I continue to say that throughout this whole season as to which guy was starting in which spot or who was that fifth starter going to be. And those of us that are obsessed about it can have opinions, and, and sometimes they may even be right. But I just thought his overall message and preparation and philosophy about basketball and emphasis on defense and the way that he like that stuff to me was really good, and I thought that that was that was pretty consistent up until the point where. He was, he was, you had to show him more than once sometimes, Pete, but he would make the change, you know, that they needed. And in, in fact, in those playoff series, I thought he made it pretty quickly. You know, typically like by game two, it was like, all right, here's the game plan. We have figured it out. Let's go win the series now. A, a friend of mine who's a, a, a coach, shout out to Mario, pointed out when I brought this up uh, last time about our game one starts that that's a hallmark of LeBron teams as well, that they tend to start, that they're about 50-50 in game ones and kind of will figure a team out yeah. down the LeBron stretch. LeBron always too. talks about that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and so so that's I think that both things are true in this example. Um, when you talk about the um, core principles of, of defense and his core beliefs and – Having that synchronicity on on that team, I, I don't want to skip ahead to our current team because I think that it was really just the opposite end of the scale. And I think we'll get to that part of the story. But I think that right there is when I talk about in the intro to the pod that there are certain things that we can learn from the story of Frank Vogel. I think that's one of them. So when we come back on the other side of the break, I want to pause right there, kind of zero in on that. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I feel like a coach's job is very mysterious to fans in in a lot of uh, in a number of senses. I think that that everybody understands a certain degree of uh, the leadership 
that's involved and if you've been a part of a team, whether it's in sports or elsewhere, there are certain universal principles to coaching and that we all get and kind of understand. But the actual in-game execution of making an adjustment or doing this or the alchemy of a lineup or things like that, I think that's something that we're just starting to really scratch the surface of being able to communicate those aspects of the game more effectively. And with the championship team, we saw that harmony D between the types of players that a guy has and his core philosophies that I thought allowed for a certain bandwidth, like God bless you guys. We've our, uh, our text threads this year, probably the long you guys have received multi-paragraph screeds all year long on all of the things that Frank was doing in a technical aspect, right? Uh, on the, this lineup, this scheme and this and that. And I, I don't have too many outlets to really like complain about that. So you, Poor guys like got the brunt of that. So thank you for putting up with me this season. Um, but you you saw my frustrations in that respect. I think that one of the things that the difference in the personnel speaks to is that you that Frank had to be perfect in a way this year with certain things that that natural harmony in, and certainly a higher talent level too, right? Like let's not complicate it too much, but a higher talent level available players with injuries and whatnot. But when you give a coach more room for error, that 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 allows other things to grow. And I think that Mike's point about like, I don't even think you were wrong, Mike, like Crusoe, even looking back on it, probably should have been playing more than Rondo that year, too. And eventually who started game six of the finals when like shit got real and we really needed to win a game. So like it wasn't a mystery to Frank. He knew. Yes, that's most that's probably fair. But at, at the same time, though, Frank. Frank kept Rondo engaged enough throughout that right. season in order to be able to get what he needed out of him too. So that was the point in, in that whoever, sometimes you have to sacrifice the best lineup at the time, right? Or, or the best lineup to start a game or the best lineup in order to engage the roster. And that, that's one thing that I've learned just from being actually there, right? That it's hard to pick up on the television. That that And that that is something that I think that we always do to all coaches in all sports is to just overestimate putting the best guys on the floor right away from the start and not realizing yep. the big picture. And, and that though speaks to the idea of if you give a coach a little bit of room for error, he can invest in into long-term goals in ways where this year was like mostly about survival, like from a night to night basis, injuries had a lot to do with that. But you see the point that I'm making D is that if you don't force a coach to be perfect tonight to win this game, then you give them the ability to be like Rondo, like we're going to stick with Rondo and it's going to pay off down the line. It might lose us a game in December, but it's going to pay off down the line. Anyway, I think that in terms of going forward with this Lakers team, that moment right there, that ability to build a team that really fits the philosophies of your coach is absolutely, absolutely essential to the next guy that we hire. So I'm, I'm going to be writing a series of, of posts, now that we're in the offseason for the Lakers. And it's basically going to be a three or a four or who knows how many part series, but at least a three and probably four um, on like basically like what did we learn from this shitty season? And mm -hmm. each post will be, you know, a single lesson. The first post will probably be build a team with the talent whose talents like fit the style of your coach, right? Like, like build towards your coach's strengths 
The second post will probably be more of an indictment of of what happened this year with Frank, which is like coach the team you got and not the team you want. Because those are both, I think, key lessons that were from Mm -hmm. this season. And I think as we get into more of the bones of what happened this season and why Frank was let go, um, a part of it is that that the dissonance that was created from the roster build, which isn't his fault, put him in positions to not be as successful, but he wasn't just not successful. It was the path that they traveled in their decline and the way the team fell off, which I think inspired doubts around, well, is this really the coach for the next three years or the next four years? Because ultimately, when he signed his extension this past offseason and the reports were that the extension was really only for one more season. And so he would have gone into next season as a lame duck coach again. This is the time where if Frank pulled it off with this team, you know he's your coach. And it's just like, okay, well, back up the truck, the Briggs truck, and collect the bag because it's time. It's time to pay this dude his money and invest in him the way that most other championship coaches have been invested in, right? The Coach Budenholzers or the Rick Carlisles, the guys who they win their one championship with the team, and then they end up being there for like a decade, six, seven years at least. And so this season was the inflection point for Frank in a lot of ways. And I do not think he was put in a position to succeed at all. Hard stop right there. That's it. No more to be said about that. But in not succeeding, he showed some of the ways in which his limitations were going to be exposed if he had to coach perfect. And the stressors that that puts on you as a coach when you are in survival mode and you do have to coach almost every night as if it's a new team. Because in many nights, Mike, it was a new team. 41 starting lineups over the course of an 82-game season is quite the ridiculous scenario to put yourself in and it's i know that i've gone on a tangent here but it's just like i just find myself reflecting on the journey of frank vogel from that first press conference to where we are with him being let go and and it's just quite the ride that he had to travel and the path that he had to navigate and there were just so many challenges and many he overcame and this year i think there were probably too many for him to actually overcome. I'll just summarize my thought because we could go on and on about this and I'm sure we'll we'll continue to talk about certain aspects of coaching at Frank, but the bottom line is he led them to a title in a tough year. That's forever. He's in that group yes, sir. and there aren't that many because Phil Jackson won a bunch of them and Pat Riley won a bunch of them, right, of Laker coaches that won an NBA championship and that's forever there. I think that Laker fans will appreciate that. I thought it was... I really liked that part of what Rob Palenka said where, you know, take take everything that happened this year aside, the fact that he got fired and all that. But he said he, he does now transition into a, basically being like a, a legacy part of the Lakers and especially for winning a championship. So that that is what the franchise is about. Frank is part of that history, period. And 
now I am I think that he will likely go on to coach somewhere else as a head coach. I think that a lot of teams would like to have the kind of coach that he is. And the Lakers may find somebody that's best suited for what they're or even better suited moving forward. But for these last three years, and in particularly that first one and, and the last one, had it not come with a two month offseason in the bubble, you know, I think they could have won a second one. Uh, and this year, I don't think they could have won right with with this personnel. But that that is forever. And so, you know, shout out to Frank for that. Oh, ab- absolutely. And it, and that's something that. Yeah, Frank. I, I, that's that's part of the reason why I wanted to tell his story in kind of a longer form is because I think that you know he is he's a championship Lakers coach, and I think that sending him off properly is is important. While we find the little lessons within that, you know. And Pete, you can keep going. That was just my little summary there. You can just you, you can you can you don't have to stop. Okay. Yeah, yeah. forgive yeah, me. I'm, I'm like I'm yeah. sorry, Mike. I'm in like yeah. I'm like okay. It's it's no, go ahead, man. Uh, freaking, it, I'm like oh, it's February 2020 in my mind right now. So Darius, you, you talked about your the series that you're gonna write um, about lessons learned from this from this season, and you said the first one is you know build a team that fits your coach's talents and and what they do. Now, I think in some ways, so in some ways, yeah, absolutely. You need to do that. In other ways, you can't build teams around coaches, especially if, especially if the, what they do well is in a fairly narrow window. Now, many of my frustrations from this season were um, on the offensive end of the floor. And one of the things in, uh, that come with building a team like the 2020 team is that there isn't a ton of help for a guy like LeBron, who's getting older. And I think that's the tension that's been in terms of the building of this team. And then the corresponding dissonance that there was with Vogel's style was that LeBron, like one thing you you always say, Mike, is like we know what wins around LeBron James. We've seen it so many times. I don't necessarily think that that's a static thing, and it's important if LeBron doesn't think that it is right. Like if LeBron feels like he needs more help in terms of ball handling, then that needs to be taken into consideration. Now, I view this year's team in that respect as as we made mistakes along the way, right? Like if if something called for a little bit of pepper on the baked potato, D, we spilled the whole shaker on there, and it's like, oh, we we ruined the potato. Um, but nonetheless, that tension is still there, and. One of the measures of do you back up the Brinks truck for a coach is can you change? Can you coach that different style? Yeah. Now, this was a severe ask. This was a real – like we talk about like Popovich having different eras of his career as a coach. That happened gradually over the over time with a broader personnel like foundation. Like this was a quick ask to be like, hey, coach a completely different style with like half the team is guards and all of that. But – that is something that I think hurt us this year is that sometimes you just got to pick up cheap wins by figuring out how to turn the team that you have that night into the team you need to win the game that night. And so that right there, I, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on on that. I think that's right. And I think the uniqueness of this team and the challenges that this team faced was that they were so deficient in the things that Frank wants to do, especially defensively, that 
he probably felt the need to really try to reinforce those ideas that matter to him much more than what he typically would even want to mm. as a focus point for in order to get his players up to speed, particularly when the injuries were weakening his roster at so many different turns. You know how we talk about our kids a fair amount on the pod, but your kids, they go to school and then they're like these big standardized tests that happen like every couple of years, especially as they get older, right? And this idea of like teaching to the test, like teach to the test, teach, teach to the test, because you want the kids to like learn to, or you want them to achieve and you want them to actually pass the test because the test is what actually matters. But in the big picture, the test actually isn't what matters when it comes to school. What really matters is like, oh, the joy of learning and actually like processing information because those are the things that are going to carry you through life more and more and more. And this goes back to long-term planning, Pete, that you discussed. I think part of what makes Frank a good coach for most situations was totally backwards for this team. It's like, have have you ever seen the movie Memento? Oh, yeah. So Memento, the guy, and he's got a short-term memory issue where he has like no short-term memory. He only has long-term memories. So every day he wakes up and he only remembers the past. He doesn't re- like the the very distant past. He does not remember what happened the day before or the day before that or the day before that. And so he ends up leaving himself notes and putting tattoos on his body and all of this other stuff to spark memory so, so that he remembers. On some levels, Frank Vogel needed to be the memento guy. He needed to be like, okay, new team today, right? Whole new opportunity. I need to do this, this, that, and the other in order to do the thing that needs to happen today, right? And that goes against, I think, what are his core instincts as a basketball coach. And that, that translated in ways, Pete, where I think that's where you find some of the lack of adaptability the lack of because in at his core he doesn't want to adapt what he wants is to plan yes right and so because by planning we're going to get to our goal because we have mapped it out in the same way we talk about lebron mike like of like yeah i've got a 365 day plan every year in order to be my best by the time that June 1st rolls around so that I can win a championship. And Mike just shared that anecdote about him preparing his own scouting report, even though the assistants, you know, those are assigned to assistants too. So like this idea of planning, I think is really central to Frank's view view of basketball and how to coach it. And, And Mike, Pete's talked about this a fair amount. And I buy into this idea too, that I think one of the reasons why the Lakers were so successful in the bubble is because they had like a two month break in the middle of the season and forget how that helps your body heal. I think it gave Frank Vogel a bunch of opportunity to be like, hey, what are our potential weaknesses and what are our potential strengths and what is a potential path going to look like if we do reconvene and have to play these these sorts of games and what 
is the best way for my team to play. And when the team came out and looked like trash in the bubble, in in those sort of like seeding games, when there was really mm-hmm. nothing to play for, they won their first game or whatever, and then they clinched first place. And then after that, none of those games mattered. And suddenly Dion Waiters gets 25 minutes and people were just like, oh, the Lakers, what's wrong with them? It's just like, what's wrong with them? Nothing. It's like, nothing's wrong wrong with them they're playing all the end of the bench dudes you didn't see jr smith get up 13 three-pointers last game like well <laughs> that's what happened right but that played that, i think yeah, in the franks that's hands. also when they're that's also when their defensive rating went from first and like it ended up being third you know yes it, it's like guys that that oh that that week was driving me crazy because I, I was like you know you know what they're doing right guys like chill out but we hadn't seen basketball in like five months. So it was like, oh, do the Lakers suck now? Like, no. like. <laughs> yes, but so this is where there's a, there's a merging, <sighs> right? We've, this has been a pod mostly about coaching. But it has to be what goes right along with that is how the players take that, not just from a yeah. mindset. It, it's not – X's and O's can be very much overrated by people watching on television. And that includes me, right, and when I'm watching football. And I'm like, what is this coach doing? What an idiot. Like, why would he run here when he could pass? Like, that? we all do it. Especially in the sports that we know less about. You know, in, in what, like, some, yeah, it's not to say that it's not important. But part of what carried that 2019-20 team, a lot of it, a lot of it was this, was all the stuff we talked about with Frank. But it was that the players from the beginning believed in, in what they saw when they played together on the court. And so every time the coach then comes in and says, hey, guys, I need you to do this, like there, that was not going to work the same way this year mm-hmm. as it did that year. So there's this marriage between what the ideas and the philosophies and when you're going to blitz and should we drop into some zone and should we yep. trap and should we all this stuff in it. And as coaches sometimes say after the game, right, especially if you catch them in an honest moment, you're like, you don't think I you don't think I thought of that, you know? During the game, you don't think that I thought that maybe this like thing would work. Sometimes the players just don't do it well. Sure. You know, so that's I just wanted to throw that in there. And now, please direct us back into the coaching uh, element. No, no, I I think we're going to wrap up here because I think that's a great place to stop in terms of that relationship right there between the the coaches and players and getting players that are internally motivated to execute and what that means in relation to a coach. We're going to wrap it up here and this is going to be a two-parter because we're going to continue the story of Frank Vogel uh, on the next episode of the Laker Film Room Podcast. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Here by McLaughlin. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good. Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. Jack with his eighth block a lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Freddie pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. 
There's the move. Two, one, James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.